we uh, continue in the Gospel of Luke. We have, uh, as we have been going through this Gospel, this is, uh, I think, 10 sermons now, we have seen that Luke's Gospel is written to a man named Theophilus, and, and to people like him, anyone who would read it. He, you can look back in chapter one, and, and the Dr. Luke writes, Luke acts to a man named Theophilus, some, some sort of God-fearer, some, someone who is interested in the things of Christ, and, and to people like him, so to people like us who are reading and, and listening to this gospel. And, and, and Luke's purpose was to compile a narrative of the things that had happened, the things surrounding Jesus and his life and his ministry. So he would compile a narrative that would be comprehensive and compelling that you, dear reader and listener, might have certainty to believe the things that were written, things about Jesus. He wants to give you a certainty about this man, this God-man who came into the world to be a salvation and a way back to God. And, and Luke writes as a master historian, giving dates and places and people, adding plausibility to his work. And Luke's work shows us that God has good news for unlikely people. That's good news for us. The gospel is coming to people who are unwanted, the unwanted and dregs of society, those without power or great influence. The gospel in that day, those who are the unlikely, comes to women and shepherds, the barren woman, the old priest, the carpenter, the virgin teenage woman. And Luke announces good news into this very bleak history of, of the unlikely and one unwanted. A very bleak history, maybe a history that you feel like is uh, similar to your own. The good news is the gospel is for you too. And the gospel of Luke shows us, as Daryl Bach tells us, that Jesus must become Lord of all so the gospel can go to all. It has a universal scale and scope. It goes to all the kinds of people of the world, all the classes, all the genders, all the ages. It's going everywhere. And this is a, a big problem because every religion of that day and of this day said the way back to God, the way back to God was not that God would come to you, but that you must be coming to God. You must be somebody. So, you must make something of yourself, either through your birth or through your effort. The, the Romans believed that the gods would save them through power, so that these people must become powerful at all costs. They, the, the, the people and the influential people would gain power as a means to, to please the gods and have salvation of their own. They were gods in their own making. The idea of God become, coming as a baby and dying on a cross was ridiculous to the Romans. It was foolishness. And it was foolishness to the Greeks. The, the way back to God or salvation in the, in the Greek mind was through great wisdom, philosophy. If you must be able to think your way back to God and get rid of this body and this, this life here in order to be subsumed back into the, to, to the, to the real spiritual good. 
That was the way of salvation. It was powers for the Romans. It was wisdom for the Greeks and for the Jewish people, the, the religious people, God's people of the day. You had to be born of Abraham. That was the way back to God. You had to be circumcised. You had to obey the law. And if you didn't do that, you would not be saved. But if you did do it, God was obligated to save you. And I wonder, have the beliefs about salvation changed all that much today? Some, they may not have God in the picture at all, but salvation for them has, has become just a little more money, a little more influence. And if you have that, you have made it and you would be saved because money and power have become your gods. Think about for your life. Why are you in the job you're in? Why are you studying what you are studying? Is it because in some way you see that thing as some sort of savior for you, a salvation for you? Or maybe it's your family, or maybe it's your position, or your political aspirations. Some of you think that if you just had a little more wisdom or knowledge or another degree, then you would have the respect you need in order to be somebody, and that for you is salvation. It could be a million other things. Some of you believe that if you just obey the rules and live out the law perfectly, that God will save you because then you have earned it. You've done something. And that has, for you, become your salvation. And, and what that looks like for you is you, just, you, judge, you, you judge other people that can't keep the rules as well as you do. But don't you see that's just a, a self-salvation? That is you making your way back to God on your own, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Friends, all of these are our own ways back to God. But Luke tells us that the way of the Lord is different than this. If you want to get back to God, Luke tells us, if you want salvation, you must follow his way. And his way, God's way, the way of the Lord is restoring, repenting sinners. That's the main idea. I'm not gonna have a, an outline up there for, for you. We're just gonna follow the narrative that is before us, the story. It's beautiful. It's basically the narrative about John the Baptist continued as he preaches a sermon. So I'm gonna be preaching a sermon about someone preaching a sermon. It's kind of like Inception. Not really. So, uh, the way of the Lord is by restoring repenting sinners. You want a way back to God? Have you wondered if you're trying to make your own way back to God? Well, the only way back to God is if he restores you by giving you faith and repentance. So Luke continues the story as Hannah read for us. And you'll notice the historical setting there that it starts in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And, and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna put up some dates for you and we'll leave them up there for a little bit while I talk. But it's just to, uh, it's just to get you uh, in, the, in the mindset that here, here is Luke. And Luke cares a lot about history. And you should care a lot about history too. Uh, not just for history's sake, but be, because Christianity is a historical religion. It puts itself out there. I, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. That Apostles' Creed goes on to say, I believe in Jesus who suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is a creed that is set in history. 
You can go verify it, and people have verified it, and Luke's history is actually really good. And he gives names, and he puts it out there so anyone can check, and, and this, is, this is the historical setting. So since it's up there already, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go through this, that Luke tells us that John the Baptist came uh, from the wilderness, which is a historical uh, marker too. The children of Israel were in the wilderness and now John the Baptist is in the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness and he's preaching the way of the Lord. And it was during this time of Tiberius. You can go check it out. Josephus, uh, Tacitus, all the historians would ha will have this in, in basically these dates. It was in the 15th year, so Tiberius, here, here it is, eight, he, he, he ruled until uh, 8028, and Pontius Pilate, it, it was there during John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry uh, around 8026 to 36. And Herod, who is his Antipas, he, the son of Herod the Great, who ruled in Galilee from BC, 4 BC to 8039. And then uh, Herod's, uh, the Great's sons, Herod Antipas and Philip, they both uh, ruled as governors in the region. They broke it up and let them rule in the region uh, around the same times. And you, you can see that. And you can go and you can check the historical data and see if it's true. But that's not, I don't think, the main point of why Luke sets it in that history. You can go check it out and you should have certainty that what Luke is writing is, is true and what he's writing about John the Baptist and Jesus is true. But the main point I think Luke is making not only that the histor history is, is notably accurate, but that is to show that there are power structures at play here in secular politics. John the Baptist preached into what a, a power structure that was already set, and John the Baptist and Jesus were not a part of that power structure. That the way of the world was a way of power and influence, whether through politics or religion. So from Tiberius all the way down to Licinius, uh, the, the political power structures were set. And John is coming. He's saying there's a way of the Lord. Maybe preaching on one of the roads that the Romans built. That was a way all roads lead to Rome. And he is saying there's a way back to God. And not all roads lead there. There's one way. But not only were the political power structures set, so were the religious power structures. In verse two, Luke marks out the religious power brokers of the day and the, the high priesthood uh, of Annas had ended in AD 15, but his influence was so great that Luke concludes him here. He was still having influence on the people as his son-in-law Caiaphas ruled, AD 18 through 36. And you can check that against John 18 and and other historians. Here, here, we, here were the religious elite and their way to God was to keep the people under the law and fight against the Roman oppressors. Here's John speaking into those, those, those power structures, the, the very influential, and, he, and here he is, not, not a very influential man himself. He's out in the wilderness, and if you read other accounts of him, he's wearing weird clothes, and he's eating weird food, and he's coming, and he's saying, the way of the Lord. You need to listen up, because I, I have the way back to God. And in verse three, he declares his message, and you can look at it. What is his message? John, the son of a, a barren woman and an old priest, is introduced as the main character here in this, in this narrative, and he is preaching a sermon. 
He's announcing the way of the Lord. The word of God came, the word of God came to John and after a long silence, God had not spoken to Israel for a while, the word is coming to John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth in the wilderness. And what was that word? He went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And here's his message. He's proclaiming, that word is heralding, it's preaching, and this is what he's doing. It's one of the reasons we, one of the main things we do is preach from this pulpit. We're proclaiming, we're heralding the news from God. Repent for the forgiveness of sins. There's some things we need to know about his audience. Is that they were, Luke tells us they were a crowd or they were, they, they were the people, the uh, they were commonly referred to as the Amharats. The Amharats were the, the common people. Literally, the people of the land. The people who lived hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. The people who were taxed heavily by the tax collectors to keep the Pax Romana. The Amharats were the, the people that were governed with a strong hand and extorted by the soldiers at every turn. They were the populace. And they were very religious. It's very interesting that in our culture, who, who we are obsessed with uh, dividing into classes, the oppressed class and the oppressor class, in that society, this oppressed class, this group, the Amharats, the people, the group, this group of the people of the land, they were, they were told the way to deal with the inequity that they were dealing with as the oppressed is to not overthrow the government or to bring down the oppressor class, but they were to repent of their sins. Here the Amharats, the, the people who were oppressed by the Roman government, the way of the Lord was not political overthrow. So as we come into this, this year of an election, it's already stirring up, isn't it? You guys can just relax, okay? I'm not gonna say anything about who you should vote for, but this is, this is a year of an election. In a year of an election where, 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 where people are going to say terrible things about other candidates and, and other groups of people, we should remember that the, the word and the way of the Lord is not political overthrow. Now, we can be involved politically in lots of different ways, but that's not the way back to God. The way back to God is repentance unto life. And and, and this is what John is telling the crowd. He's not telling them to feel sorry for themselves. He's not telling them to vote for the right candidate like that's what they could do. He's telling them to repent and turn back to God. Repentance is a, a complete change of mind and heart regarding one's overall attitude toward God. It's a, it's a change of mind about their, our individual actions, our, our sins. A, a true regeneration and conversion are always accompanied by repentance. It's turning from sin to God. And this was the message sent from John. And this may sound like a moralistic message, like, oh, I have to do something. I have to... I have to be doing something in order to earn God's favor. But this was not a, moral message, a moralistic message, but it was a, a change of mind and heart. God's word came to John, and the way of the Lord we see is not John's way, but was written in a book. You see that? 
Yeah, the word of the Lord came to John. John got a word from the Lord. And some people may tell you, and they've told me before, that they had a word from the Lord or, or whatever. But when John got a word from the Lord, he said it was written in the book. It was written in the book. And, and, and this is how you can tell if someone really did get a word from the Lord. Does it go with what the Bible says? And here's John getting a word from the Lord, and what he points to is what is already written down. This is his message. Repent of your sins and turn to God. This is his way back to God. He came preaching a, map, a message of baptism, of repentance. John does not say this is my message. He says it's written in the book. Now, what part of the book is John referring to? As we just, just look at the Bible and observe the text, we, we see what John's text was in verses four through six. What's John's text for his sermon? How does he back up what he's saying? Well, he goes to the scroll in Isaiah. He doesn't have a scroll on him. He's not carrying it around. He has it memorized, as did most of the Amharats. So most of these people had the, the, the scrolls memorized. And the text from uh, the, the text he used to back up his message was Isaiah, we know as Isaiah chapter 40, verses three through five. And he says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, how, how should you know if you're supposed to repent and turn from your sins or not? How do you know if that's the way back to God? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. What's the way of the Lord? Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So his text is from Isaiah. Now, if you ever looked at Isaiah, whether it's on a scroll or just in your Bible, Isaiah is a pretty big book. So what's the context? Um, John is just picking out these three verses, assuming that people know the context of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah, these verses come after the command of the Lord to comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. What should the next question be for you? Why do God's people need comforting? Why do they need to be comforted? Well, because Isaiah has just pronounced judgment on God's people. God will, God will judge the sins of his people by exiling them to Babylon. However, in the, in the midst of God's promise to, to, to judge comes this comfort. Isaiah chapter 40 and verses one and two tell us that uh, God not only wants to comfort his people, but he wants to do it in tenderness. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, tenderness, and speak to them tenderly, that their warfare has ended and they have received double for all of their evil. Their warfare has ended. They've already, God has already punished them enough. Now comfort my people. Well, how will this happen? How will the announcement that judgment is ended happen? How, how, how will comfort come to God's people by a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord? Why would a road need to be prepared for the Lord? Because the way back to God, there are barriers in the way back to God. And that's why he's telling us, he's telling the reader, he's telling 
those who will listen to his sermon that they need to repent of their sins. There are barriers back to God. So just to further the context here of, of Isaiah, the, the judgment came on the people of God because the King Hezekiah, you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 20. King Hezekiah, you, if you've read the Bible, you'll remember that Hezekiah got sick. He prayed to God that God would heal him. God gave him 15 more years, and in that 15 years, he did really, something really dumb. Hezekiah welcomed an embassy from Babylon, show, showing off all the artifacts and all the gold in, 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 the, in the temple, and God had told him that he had basically prepared the way for the Babylons to come back and take all the gold and enslave the people. The judgment is coming because of these stupid mistakes. And but now Yahweh is, is, has sent his last prophet, John, the John the Baptist, to prepare his way back. God is coming back. The road for God is, is, is coming back, and it needs to be prepared. Yahweh himself is coming to his people, and he is saying, repent of your sins. And there are barriers on this road. Our, our sins are barriers back to God, but Yahweh is coming down, and he's knocking down those barriers, and he's telling us to repent of our sins. These are, these are metaphorical barriers. These aren't geographical barriers. That, I mean, it's not literally that every valley shall be filled, and every mountain be brought low, and the crooked will be made straight. They're they're metaphors for what we need to repent of. These people who are coming out that John will call a brood of vipers, he's telling them that basically there are these three barriers that are blocking their way back to God. One is that uh, the, there are valleys that need to be filled. There are, there are people who had come out that thought their, thi their sins were too great for God to forgive. They're weighed down by sin. They're crushed under the weight of sin. They do not think there's a path back to God. And Isaiah and John is saying, repent of that. Repent of that. Remove that barrier. Let the valley be lifted up. Do you think your sins are too great for God to forgive? God is saying, repent of that. That barrier should be removed. This is the barrier of those weighed down by sin, those who are bad and they know it, those who are crushed under the weight of sin, do not think they can get back to God. Every valley shall be filled. And then there's the, the barrier of the mountains that needs to be brought low. This way back to God is, is not only valleys being filled, but mountains that need to be brought low. And this image is of those who are, have mountains of pride, their sin is pride. They don't think they need a way back to God. They think they're better than the next person. They, they compare their sins and they see themselves as better. They're puffed up with pride. They're members of the community who think too much of themselves and their power and their position and, and, and those who are prestigious. They have good money, good looks. They have the right social skills. Uh, they have the right politics. They have mountains of pride in themselves maybe even in their religion. Is that you? This is a barrier to God that, that John is telling us and God is telling us, Yahweh is coming. Let the mountains be brought low. Let your pride be brought low. 
The right response of these people is that they are to be brought low and humbled before God. And the third and final metaphor, the third and final barrier is a crooked and rough way. They, these, are, these are people of the community who are, are religious people, but whose ways need to be straightened out They're, and leveled out. They are the religious hypocrites. Those are who are irregular and inconsistent. Their religion is outward and external. They, they come to church for show, but there's nothing going on in the heart. They're, they say the right words, they vote for the right candidates, but, but in their heart, it's all crooked. It's all inconsistent. Their heart has not been affected, and it needs, it needs to be straightened out by the regularity of, of God's word. It needs to be straightened out by repentance. Is that you? Maybe you have grown up in church and you've been taught or you have just thought that this is the way to God. I, I come to church every Sunday so um, that people think I'm good, but I'm not really good. Jesus says there's a way, God says there's a way back for you. And then John does something as he uses this text from Isaiah the people would have understood it. They would have understood the metaphors and he's preaching it right to them. He does something that we're really not comfortable with. The next thing he does, he not only gives his message, he not only gives his text, he gives his warning in verses seven through nine. In verses seven through nine, there's this book called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by a really old guy. It's just a, it's basically a way to, to get your, you know, to, to have friends and to have influence over people. John, I don't think John read that book. Because John comes out and he, is, he says, you brood of vipers. Now, we might not know what that metaphor pertains to, but we know it's not nice, right? <laughs> my, my kids, you know, teenagers and preteens, they have all these sayings that young kids have because I'm old. I don't understand them all. And we don't always understand you know, the, the metaphors of the Bible, but we know it's not good. And there's certain things my kids say, I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm pretty sure you shouldn't be saying it. Well, John, it seems like, John, are you, should you be saying this to these people? You want them to repent? Why are you calling them names? And so John comes, you know, guns a-blazing, and he says, you brood of vipers. Not, John's not trying to be as mean as it sounds, but he is being direct and he's, this metaphor, I think, is saying, you guys are acting more like children of the serpent, the seed of the serpent, than you are acting like the seed of the woman. Because you have not repented of your sins. But there's a way to change from the seed of the serpent to the seed of the woman. And he says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? How, how, can, we, how can we change how can we not be seeds of the serpent, bear fruit in keeping with repentance? And don't begin to say to yourselves, here, here, he's, already, he's already anticipating their religious objection. They're saying, we have Abraham as our father. How dare you call us seeds of the serpent? And God says, that's not how it works. John's saying, that's not how it works. God can raise up real children of Abraham from these very rocks. Actually, judgment is coming at you. The ax is being laid to the tree. The trees that don't bear fruit are supposed to be cut down. Judgment is coming. That's a sign of judgment that trees aren't bearing fruit. Well, you're not bearing fruit as the, as the branch that's supposed to be bearing fruit from David's line. And it's about to be cut down but please repent and turn. 
this is a warning. And maybe it's a warning you need to hear, dear friend. You have not been bearing fruit worthy of repentance, and you know deep down in your heart that you're not truly a believer, you have not had faith, you've never turned from God, from, from sin to God. There is a way to God, and he is offering it back, the way of the Lord, just repent and turn. And he says, turn to me, and you will be saved. So what does bearing fruit in keeping with repentance mean for us? Bearing fruit that's consistent with a heart change that's been going on. What does that look like for our lives? Well, the specifics may be different for you. You didn't live in, the, in that century. Uh, you didn't live in that place. But the general idea is the same. The categories of sin are the same. What should we be repenting of? And he says, it's really interesting. What does he say to them? The common people, the Amaharats, they ask him, what are we supposed to do? And he gets at, in his application, selfishness and greed. This is basically what he's telling them. You guys are selfish, you're greedy. Your heart posture is not right before God, and the fruit that you're bearing is ugly fruit, rotten fruit of selfishness and greed. He's pushing into the human heart against these, these evil sins of, of greed and envy and selfishness. And he heads off their objections right away, as we already saw. Don't, don't try to play the trump card that you're, you, were, you grew up in church or your family's a Christian and I do really nice things. Don't do that. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. The valleys need to be lifted up, the mountains need to be brought low, the crooked need to be straightened out. And here, as we end, as we're, we're finishing up right now, he, he gets to his application. So we see his message, baptism, the repentance of sins, for repentance for the forgiveness of sins, his text is Isaiah, his warning is, is, is judgment is coming, and now here's his application. Luke writes of three examples of what repentance looks like. So the crowd comes to him and, and they ask, what should we do? And he says, a very strange thing for us. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. What, is a, what does a Christian look like that has repented of their sins? They share the things that they have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. They share such things as they have. They don't think of what they have as their own, but everything is a gift from God. There's a, a truly God-centered view in their life that repentance has made. You should share the things that you have, not in order to earn forgiveness, but because you have been forgiven. And then the tax collectors, they come to him, the tax collectors, you know, uh, none of us probably like tax collectors now. I don't know, maybe you are a tax collector, so I'm sorry. Uh, that's a tough job. Maybe you work for the IRS. I don't know, but tax collectors then were, were people who were hired by the Roman government, and uh, they were told they could collect this much and maybe a little bit more for their time, but they were so corrupt that these tax collectors, the, the greed was working on their heart, and they collected way more exorbitant amounts more than they needed to uh, because they were greedy. And the tax collectors, they would even farm it out so they wouldn't have to, to deal with people and they cost even more money for the common people that didn't have any. And what did the tax collectors do that came to be baptized? They said, he says to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Just, 
be honest with what you've been given. You, you are allowed to collect this much, don't collect anymore. You're allowed to collect 10%, don't collect any more than that. This is a heart that is, has been turned, that's been straightened out, that's been lifted, been put down. How, how do you know you're on the way of the Lord if you, if you have repented and the fruit of your heart will be that you share what you have? You will, you'll be honest with, with what you are allowed to keep. You won't, God will be working on the selfishness and greed in your heart. This is very personal, friends. This cuts to the heart of our individualistic cultures like ours, give two shirts. The, the shirts that were, were, these poor people had two shirts. One was at the, the bottom, an undershirt, and the other one was to keep them warm. And, and, and John the Baptist is saying that if someone doesn't have any, give one of those. It's very personal. Like saying, give someone your coat if they're cold. They don't have a coat, give it to them. And friends, we've, I was just talking to Bridget about this last night, and, it, and it's true, the more things that we have, the more... The, the greedier our hearts get or, or the busier our hearts get trying to maintain what we have and God just says, would you stop? Give it away. I will give you everything you need. There's a, there's a way back to God and it is through repentance. A heart for the poor and those who do not have anything. This is the way to help people that will will hurt them, and, and we, need, we need wisdom to know how to, to do this. There's, there's a way to help people that will end up hurting them. I'm, I'm not telling you how to do this. I'm, I'm just saying, is your heart selfish and greedy? Repent of that, because Yahweh is making a way back. Luke shows us another uh, specific example of repentance. The soldiers came, and they said they wanted to be baptized. Well, what should we do in order to produce fruit consistent with repentance. The soldiers were, they, most scholars think the soldiers were, were Jewish people who were, who were paid by the Romans. They came in and they were to help, to help keep the, the peace and the, and, and the, the soldiers were, um, were, were brutal. The soldiers would have been sellouts, maybe like uh, American turncoats or Benedict Arnold's that would have been thought of like this and they used too much force and they extorted people. So they're, the people are getting extorted by the tax collectors and the soldiers and, and Rome and, and they really are being oppressed. And, and, and here it is, friends, whether you're poor or rich, what is your view of money? Well, do, do you view money as, uh, as, as, as something that makes you safe? And so you hoard it all the time? If I just have enough, if I just have a rainy day account, if I just have enough in the bank, I won't have to worry about anything. That has become your God. Or, or maybe your view of, of, of money is one that shows off your prestige, your position, your power, and so you spend it all the time. You're, you're spending it to show how much you have. God is getting at this fact, not just that you're selfish and greedy, but that this has become your God. Be content with such things as you have. And he tells the soldiers who say, what should we do? Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be content with your wages. So dear, dear friend, what is God calling you to repent of? Maybe you're, you are a Christian, and, and what is the life of repentance that, that, that you need to be following as, as the way of the Lord? 
Maybe your God has become money in some way, either as, as safety or uh, as, a, as a power play, or maybe it's something else. Maybe you don't care about money at all. Maybe it's become your family or your job or your position in the community. He said the way back to the Lord is forgiving, repenting sinners. Now I could preach this whole message and end it and you could be like, okay, I know what to do. I repent and I can get back to God. But friends, this is, that is not what we're supposed to think. The way of the Lord that Isaiah prophesied and that John was telling forth was the way of Yahweh coming to us. Yahweh was, was coming, and yes, there were, there were barriers, but even in the barriers, he was giving a way to bring those barriers down. He was gonna come and do the work. Jesus, this little baby who we last saw as a 12-year-old in his father's house, would, he was coming. The way of the Lord is life for those who repent, but it was death for him. His, he never had to repent of anything. He lived perfectly. He fulfilled the law perfectly. There was never a greedy or selfish thought in his mind. And he did all that. He fulfilled the law for you. He fulfilled the law. He's bringing down the barriers for, for you by walking this way of life, fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law so that when he came to be crucified, all of his righteousness he earned for those who will turn to him. And all the death and sin and wrath that you earned, he took on himself on the cross. The way of the Lord is paved by Jesus, not us. The way of the Lord was walked by Jesus. Those barriers come down only because his kindness leads us to repentance. Maybe the Lord is being kind to you right now, warning you the way you're on is not good. It's a, it's a, it's a, a path of intentions that are maybe paved with good intentions but are on the way to hell. He's telling you, turn and be saved. He's done this. We'll see him walk that road throughout the book of Luke and dine on a cross, but triumphantly rising from the grave. That's the way of the Lord. Oh, sinner, will you turn to him in repentance and be saved? He will save you. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that as we turn to confess our sins and feast at the Lord's table that you would remind us that only sinners are welcome. Only sinners who know they are sinners have turned to you in hope of your goodness. So give us hope, O oh Father. Give us faith and give us repentance now, we pray in Christ's name.